The Lord be with you. Good morning and welcome to IPC Zurich on this third Sunday of Advent and in the season of anticipation, uh, preparation, and celebration, we pray that this morning's service will be an encounter with our living, loving God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. A special word of welcome to you if you are visiting with us this morning. We're glad you're here with us today and we invite you after the service uh, to get together with us so that we might get to know you a little better and then you might get to know us a little bit better. Let's start this morning with a prayer. Please join me as we prepare our hearts for worship. Let's pray. Father in heaven, our hearts desire the warmth of your love and our minds are searching for the light of your word. Increase our longing for Christ our Savior and give us the strength to grow in love that the dawn of his coming may find us rejoicing in his presence and welcoming the light of his truth. And we ask this through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. On the third Sunday, we light the candle of joy. We read in Luke that Elizabeth's baby leaped with joy at the baby Jesus' presence. Jesus came to bring us all joy. He says we will have joy as we draw near to him and live as he modeled life for us. Happiness goes away, toys break, things in our lives don't always turn out as we had hoped. But God's presence is a constant source of joy. In Luke, Chapter 1, verses 39 to 44, we read, At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Let us pray. Dear Father of joy, author of every good thing, thank you for being our constant source of joy in life. We pray that your spirit will prepare our hearts to celebrate the joyous arrival of your son, our Saviour, Jesus Christ, into the world. May the birth of your Son awaken in us new joy. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Today's Old Testament reading comes from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 18, verses 14 to 20, and it can be found on pages 196 to 197 of your church Bibles or in the information part of your bulletin. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 14 to 20. The nations you will dispossess listen to those who practice sorcery or divination. But as for you, the Lord your God has not permitted you to do so. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him, for this is what you ask of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, let us not hear the voice of the Lord our God, 
nor see this great fire anymore, or we will die. The Lord said to me, what they say is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites, and I will put my words in his mouth. He will tell them everything I command him. I myself will call to account anyone who does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name. But a prophet who presumes to speak in my name anything I have not commanded, or a prophet who speaks in the name of other gods is to be put to death. This is the word of the Lord. Please note that in your bulletin, there's a different passage than I will be reading today from the New Testament. I'll be reading Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. This is the word of the Lord. In the season of Advent, in the season of preparation, we've been looking into and considering who is Jesus Christ? Who is he and what is he all about? And specifically what we've been looking at uh, in the season of Advent is, uh, are the offices of Jesus Christ. A couple of weeks ago, if you were here, you might remember we looked at his priestly office, how Jesus Christ functions as our great high priest. Today we're going to look at another office of Jesus Christ, but before that, please join me in prayer as we prepare for the preaching of God's word. Let's pray. God of power and love, you are revealed to us in your word, in accounts of prophecy and fulfillment that direct our attention to Jesus Christ. Illumine us now as we hear your word proclaimed, that we may open our hearts to him, yearn for his coming in glory, and serve him in this world, your world, with joy. And we ask this all in his name. Amen. So let's start this morning with a thought exercise, a thought exercise. I'm going to name 12 people, and I want you to think about what these 12 people have in common, other than the fact that they're famous or semi-famous, okay? So 12 people I'm going to name. Think to yourself what they have in common. Ready? Elon Musk. Marie Kondo. Anyone know who she is? Raise your hand if you know who she is. Okay. John Lennon. Christine Lagarde. Christoph Blocher. Beyonce. Jordan Peterson. That might be a tough one. Jordan Peterson, anyone? Okay, well, hey, all right. 
Uh, Stephen Hawking. Uh, Pep Guardiola. Should be everyone, right? Okay, yeah. Uh, Reverend Tim Keller. Sam Altman. Okay. Barbie. <laughs> That's it. That's the 12. All right. Any ideas? Any ideas at all? Well, I'll tell you what they have in common. They are all in their own ways. Prophets. They're prophets. So some of you might be thinking to yourself, how can they all be prophets? No way. Because your idea of a prophet is someone who lived a long time ago and probably was a cranky old guy with a long white beard and a long flowing robe. And he would shake his fist at people, right? And that, for the most part at least, is not the description of the people I just named. We're thinking Moses or Elijah or Jeremiah or Isaiah. All right, I understand. I understand all that, but hear me out. I would say that these people I have just mentioned can be considered prophet because each in their own way, they do what prophets do. They, for example, either foretell the future. Elon Musk, right? Sam Altman. They foretell the future. Or they critique culture and society. Jordan Peterson, uh, John Lennon. Or they proclaim what is wise and good, what is right and true. Marie Kondo, <laughs> Tim Keller, in their own way, obviously. Or even in some cases, they pronounce judgment and doom. Pep Guardiola, right? Recently quoted as saying, bad stuff ahead for Man City. Yes, all these people, all these people I just mentioned, they do something at least that has to do with being a prophet. In case, by the way, you're wondering how Barbie fits into this, well, listen to this quote from Barbie from the Barbie movie. This is what Barbie says. Today is the best day ever. So was yesterday. And so is tomorrow. And every day now until forever. Okay. Well, rarely are prophets so positive, but we heard there Barbie foretelling the future, right? Every day is going to be fabulous. Okay. So now there's one more name I want to add to this list. And that is the name of Jesus Christ the name of Jesus Christ. So maybe you're now wondering, well, how can this be? How can Jesus be spoken of merely as a prophet? After all, he's so much more than that, isn't he? And equally, you might be wondering how as a prophet, Jesus can be grouped with these people I just mentioned. Surely there's something different about his prophetic office or his role from that of Elon Musk or Christine Lagarde? Well, those are both good questions. Let's take some time now and look at how Jesus is not only a prophet, but actually the most perfect of all prophets, the long-promised, long-awaited prophet of all prophets. This is Jesus Christ. And so let's do so by exploring first what the prophetic office is all about, what it means to be a prophet. 
So very clearly we see in scripture that the role of the prophet, like the role of the priest, if you were here a couple weeks ago, you might remember this, the role of the prophet, like the role of the priest, is an intermediary role, an intermediary role. The prophet acts as an intermediary between God and his people. But this is the key difference now between the priest and the prophet. Whereas the priest acted as an intermediary between God and his people for the people's business with God, the prophet acts as an intermediary with God's business for his people. We see that the prophet acted as the person who brought God's business to the people, brought what God needed to say to his people, brought what God wanted to announce to his people. And he delivered to the people whatever message God had for them. The prophet brought God's word and God's will from heaven to earth. He was God's messenger. He was God's mouthpiece. So Moses was a good example of this, yes? If we think of prophets in the Old Testament, Moses was a great example of this. When God wanted to communicate something to Pharaoh in Egypt, God commissions Moses as a prophet to do so. This is what he says. He says to Moses, now go. I will help you speak and I will teach you what to say. And hundreds of years later, when God wants to warn the Israelites of judgment in the time of rebellion, he says this to the prophet Ezekiel. He says, son of man, I'm sending you to the Israelites, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their fathers have been in revolt against me to this very day. You must speak my words to them, whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are rebellious. So sometimes it was good news on behalf of God that the prophet delivered, and sometimes it was bad news on behalf of God that the prophet delivered. Sometimes it was hope. Sometimes it was judgment. Sometimes it was an interpretation of what had already happened. Sometimes it was a prediction of what was yet to come. But whatever the prophet said, this is the key. Whatever the prophet said, the prophet was merely acting as this intermediary between God and his people, taking a message from God and delivering it to them. Okay, so hopefully that's understood. Hopefully that's maybe even accepted by you. But how does Jesus fit into this now? How does Jesus fit into this prophetic role? Well, Lillian just read that Hebrews passage that spells this out pretty clearly. This is what the writer of Hebrews says. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. So God no longer speaks through the prophets. He speaks through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is now the one who acts as God's ambassador, his messenger. He is the one who delivers God's word and God's will to his people. And believe it or not, this prophetic role was already, this prophetic role of Jesus, of the Messiah, was already prophesied about in the Old Testament. Again, this was our first reading from Deuteronomy. Moses himself attests to this when he says this, And these are the words of God that Moses announced. God says this through Moses. 
I will raise up for them a prophet like you, so like Moses, from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he will tell them everything I command him. It's a prediction about Jesus, the great prophet, the one who's going to speak on behalf of God, the one who is to come. So Jesus' role as a prophet is already predicted in the Old Testament. And then if we look at the New Testament, we see exactly how Jesus acts as a prophet. So let's consider those activities I mentioned earlier with regard to our modern day prophets. I said that the prophets foretell the future, right? They critique culture and society. They define what is wise and good, what is right and true. And they pronounce judgment and doom. So let's see if Jesus did any of these things. Jesus certainly foretold the future when he talked about his death and resurrection in, Matthew, in Mark chapter 8. This is what he says. He says, we read, Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed. And after three days, rise again. So that's Jesus foretelling of what is to come. His death and his resurrection. But Jesus also was a critic, a critic of culture and society. This is what he said about the religious leaders of the time. He says this, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides. You strain out a gnat, but you swallow a camel. That's kind of, yeah, I would say pretty uh, confrontational with culture and society. But then there's Jesus the prophet who defines what is wise and what's good, what's right and what's true. And this he does very much so in the Sermon on the Mount. Some of you might remember that from chapter uh, 5 of Matthew in 6 and 7. Jesus says this, You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will also be subject to judgment. So that's Jesus telling people how to act, how to live lives that are pleasing to God. And then finally, as far as that last category we had talked about for prophets, the pronouncing of judgment and doom, I think you'll agree with me that this passage from Luke 10 is all about judgment and doom. Woe to you, Chorazin, Jesus says. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago. But it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the skies? No. You will go down to the depths. So clearly, when Jesus was on this earth, he was a prophet. But not only was he a prophet, as I said before, he was the prophet of all prophets, the most perfect of all prophets. And why do I say this? Well, again, we're going to go back to Deuteronomy 18 and read what makes for a good prophet. We read that a good prophet faithfully tells the people everything God commands them to tell. I will raise up for them again a prophet like you from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth and he will tell them everything I command him. That's the definition of a good prophet. One who tells the people 
what God has told him. And a bad prophet is one who presumes to speak in the name of God, but he says things that God has not commanded him to say. Again, Deuteronomy 18, but a prophet who presumes to speak in my name, anything I have not commanded him to say, that's the definition of a bad prophet, right? So the difference between a good prophet and a bad prophet is a matter of alignment. It's a matter of alignment. Alignment with the word and the will of God. What the good prophet says is in alignment with the word and the will of God. What a bad prophet says is out of alignment with the word and the will of God. And so for this reason, Jesus is not only a good prophet, he's the greatest prophet ever. He's the greatest prophet ever because with him there was and there could be no being out of alignment with the word and the will of God. He was God, so his word and his will was exactly the same as God's. They could only be one and the same, his word and his will and God's word and his will. And this was unlike any prophet before or any prophet after. Even with Moses, the greatest prophet in history, or at least before Jesus, the alignment wasn't perfect. Sometimes, after all, it was Moses' word and Moses' will that was communicated to the people of Israel. Once, for example, when Moses was commanded by God to speak to a rock in order to release water from it, what does Moses do? Some of you might know the story. He hits the rock with a stick, with a staff. He doesn't speak to the rock. His word and his will was out of alignment with God's word and God's will. And think now of our modern day prophets, some of the people I mentioned. As talented and as gifted as many of them are, their alignment with the word and the will of God will always be less than perfect. And in some cases I might suggest way far from perfect. Some pretty good actually, but some not even close, not even close. So for this reason, only Jesus then can be considered the perfect prophet. Because his alignment with God's word and God's will is absolute. Okay. So having thought about Jesus now as the perfect prophet commissioned by God to deliver his word and his will. Let's explore this now in relation to ourselves a little bit. I'd like us first to consider this. We're going to consider a few things. First, I'd like us to consider this. Who are your prophets? Who are my prophets? From whose, from whose mouths do we receive truth? Or what we believe to be truth? Whose words shape how we view the world and how we live in it? Unfortunately, if we are like many of the Israelites in the Old Testament, if we're like frankly speaking, most people of most times or all times, our prophets are often the people who tell us what we want to hear, right? Such a situation was presented to us, for example, in the book of Micah. During Micah's time, the, the prophets were telling the people there what they wanted to hear, and they were extremely popular for it. To the wealthy and the powerful there in Israelite society who are using their wealth and power for their own gain, for their own benefit, and not for the benefit of anyone else, especially not the poor and oppressed. 
to these people whose own comfort and the comfort of their own families was their primary concern in life, their passion, what they were all about. These prophets said to them, in effect, hey, don't worry, don't worry. God's not mad at you. He's good with what you're doing. He's not going to judge you. Keep up what you're doing. Everything's fine. No worries. We can imagine how popular these prophets were in Micah's time. Very popular. And I might suggest that if you look at many of our very popular prophets from today, whether they're inside the church of Jesus Christ or outside the church of Jesus Christ, whether they're liberal or moderate or conservative, whether politically speaking, the red, blue, green, or orange. Orange is a Swiss party, right? Right? Anyone know who the orange people are? Okay, good. Doesn't matter what the category is. They have all, they have this in common. They tell their people what they want to hear. Indeed, these prophets' popularity lies in their ability to make their followers feel better about themselves and worse about others. Their popularity lies in their ability to build up their followers and tear down their enemies. Their popularity lies in their ability to inflate their followers' egos, validate their followers' attitudes, justify their followers' behaviors, exploit their followers' fears, and fuel their followers' resentment. Yes, many of the prophets of our time, like the prophets of Micah's time, tell their people exactly what they want to hear. And they profit, that's P-R-O-F-I-T, they profit greatly from it. So, as we now consider our prophets, the people we listen to, the people we take direction from, the people who shape our thinking and influence our doing, let's ask ourselves some hard questions. Do our prophets at every turn seem to affirm who we are, confirm what we think, and endorse how we act? Or do they challenge us in these things? Do our prophets always back us? Or do they sometimes confront us? Do our prophets speak the truth as we love to hear it? Or do they speak the truth as God himself has revealed it? You see the difficulty, yeah? We humans, we humans in our heart of hearts, we don't actually want prophets. For example, I don't think David in the Old Testament wanted Nathan, right? In our heart of hearts, we don't want prophets. What do we want instead? We want cheerleaders. Now, I know that's a very American cheerleader, but I think most people know what a cheerleader is, right? Boom, sis, ba, or something like that. We want cheerleaders, people who go like this to everything we do and say. Jesus Christ was not a cheerleader. He wasn't a cheerleader. Didn't say boom, sis, ba. 
Jesus Christ revealed truth. He revealed the whole truth. The whole truth that people of his time need to hear, the people that are of our time need to hear, the truth that we need to hear, the whole truth. We need to hear the truth of who we are. Flawed and fallen. Convicted and condemned. We need to hear the truth of who God is. Gracious and merciful, forbearing and forgiving. And we need to hear both these things all the time. We need to be told the reality of who we are. And how we've failed. And where we can find forgiveness. We need to hear the truth as God through Jesus Christ has revealed the truth. We need his prophetic words of correction and comfort. We need to hear his prophetic words of judgment and salvation. We need to hear his prophetic words of warning and encouragement. His prophetic words of guilt and grace. His prophetic words of suffering and hope. We need to hear that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We need the whole truth such as it's contained in that statement. Let me close with this. Over the course of my lifetime, mainly because of uh, corporate relocations, uh, I happened to attend a lot of different churches. As a parishioner, not as a pastor, as a parishioner. And so I guess you could say that I've had the opportunity to experience a, a lot of churches. So at one of the churches I attended, it was a very popular church at the time, I might add. I remember that at this church, we were regularly made to feel very, very, very good about ourselves. And this was in no small part due to the fact that almost every week, it seemed, we were told why we were so much better than anyone else. We were told why our beliefs were so much better. We were told why our traditions were so much better. We were told why our worship practices were so much better. We were told why our political views were so much better. Every week, we gave thanks to Almighty God that we were not like those people, whoever those people happened to be that week. And not surprisingly, when we left the church, either on Sunday morning or Sunday evening, boy, did we feel good about ourselves. You could feel it. You could see it. We marched out of that church with our heads high and with our chests forward. Me too. After all, we were something. And God was sure lucky to have us. Yes, for good reason then. We left that church feeling very good about ourselves. Let me say this. 
I hope that you never leave this place feeling good about yourself. <laughs> well, let me, uh, let me say that in a different way maybe. All right. I'll change it. I hope you leave here feeling good about yourselves. I do. I really do. Actually, when people say I really do, they really don't. But I really, really do. I really do. But this is the key. I hope you feel here, I hope you leave here feeling good about yourselves, but not because of who you are or what you have done. I hope you leave here feeling good about yourselves because of who Jesus Christ is and what he's done. Jesus Christ, who he is and what he's done for us, this should be the basis for our peace, for our joy, for our hope, and not who we are, what we have done. Jesus Christ, who he is and what he's done for us, this should be the basis for our dignity, for our value, for our worth, not who we are, what we have done. Jesus Christ, who he is and what he's done for us, should be the basis for our confidence, for our, for our self-assurance, for our optimism. And again, not who we are or what we have done. And so I guess this is perhaps the ultimate importance of Christ as prophet. When it's his truth we listen to, we recognize our inadequacies but at the same time, we recognize his sufficiency. When it's his truth we listen to, we recognize our need, but also his provision for that need. When it's his truth we listen to, we recognize our guilt and his grace. When it's his truth we listen to, we just, we see the necessity of and the beauty of Christ our Savior. So today, and for the rest of your lives, embrace Jesus Christ as both, because they have a lot to do with each other. Embrace him as, as, as a prophet who speaks the whole truth to us. But embrace him too as your Savior, who provides complete salvation for us as well. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ, your Son. Through him, we know truth. Through him, we understand truth. And we pray, Lord, that you give us ears to receive such truth and hearts to embrace such truth. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Go into the world this week feeling really good about yourselves, but not on account of who you are or what you have done, rather on account of who Jesus Christ is and what he in love has done for you as Savior and as Lord. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit go with you and remain with you always. Amen.